0: So this morning I'm going to start by talking about the breath We find this um, practice in pretty much all the, the Buddhist traditions But I'd like to start by going back to the earliest sources that we have Namely the texts we find in Pali and there are many equivalents also translated into Chinese. In particular, to a collection called the Sanyuta Nikaya, the uh, collection of um, connected discourses. And there you find a sequence of short Uh, texts that uh, are devoted to Anapanasati, to awareness of the breath. And amongst those, there's um, a rather curious um, uh, text that describes an event that may or may not have happened during the Buddha's lifetime. I like to think it did, because it's um, somewhat curious. It seems that um, many of the people around um, the Buddhist community back in 5th century BC, India uh, became curious as to what meditation the Buddha himself did. And um, you get... um, Uh, an account of one of the monks coming to the Buddha and saying look we keep being asked you know what does he do in meditation particularly during the rains retreat as you're aware in India every summer you have a monsoon and um, at the Buddha's time there was pretty much nothing you could do except stay put so the monks would no longer wander from village to village uh, teaching and and so on. But they would gather together in groves and parks a bit like here really and spend that three month period devoted to meditation and discussion and reflection and so on. And it seems that... Um, people would come to the monks and say, well, what kind of meditation does the Buddha do? Perhaps with the idea that, you know, he's the Buddha, he's enlightened or whatever, why does he have to meditate? Surely he's done all that. He doesn't have to do it anymore. He can do something more interesting. And this question was then put to the Buddha, and the Buddha said, okay, when people ask you that question, this is what you should say that during the three-month rains retreat, um, the Buddha um, practices meditation by developing concentration on mindfulness of breathing. Now, when I first read that, I was a little bit surprised. Um, Possibly because mindfulness of breathing is considered as the sort of very basic beginner's practice. And you don't immediately think of it as something that the Buddha would spend three months um, every year practicing. Now again, why I had that reaction is a a good question. Uh, It presumably registered that I have some view of the Buddha as being a little bit above doing things like that. But then the Buddha goes on to explain why. And he says if there is, um, if anything can be said to be a, a noble dwelling, a sacred dwelling, and a Tathagata's dwelling, it is of mindfulness of breathing that one could say this. Oh, sorry, it is of concentration on mindfulness of breathing that one could say this now what are we to make of that I think the first thing it points to at least um, as I would understand it is that um, mindfulness of the breathing is probably the foundation or the ground of all meditation practices and I've certainly found that to be the case in my own uh, my own involvement in meditation over the years Uh, when I sit in meditation uh, without really having to think of what I'm going to be doing I find myself automatically uh, settling into the rhythm of breathing And what that does um, is to immediately make one aware of one's embodiment. Um, It takes attention from the thoughts that may be running around in your head and firmly uh, relocates attention to the primary rhythm of our physical existence. And this is quite characteristic of of early Buddhist meditation teaching. You don't get instructions about looking into the nature of the mind, for example, but rather you have um, the idea that you go into a forest or you sit at the root of a tree, or you come on a retreat like this, and you pay attention to the way that you're breathing. What's also characteristic about um, this kind of breath meditation is that it has nothing to do with, with breathing in a certain way. It's not as though you, you, uh, you, know, you take ten breaths in and then you take ten breaths out and you do long breaths and short breaths or you do something like pranayama, for example. Where you control the breathing. You balance the breath through each nostril that therefore there is some sort of correct or right way to be breathing if you're, if you're a meditator you never find that in the earliest texts instead you just have this idea that when you breathe out long a long breath you know that you're breathing out a long breath when you breathe in a short breath you know that you're breathing in a short breath. That's pretty much all it says. But what it seems to be getting at is that, you, uh, that through this meditation you, you check in with, if you like, or we might say you, you open up a certain intimacy with the basic rhythm of your life. And this is a rhythm that might initially be something that you become aware of through the passage of the breath entering the nostrils, filling the lungs expanding the diaphragm, pausing contracting the diaphragm, contracting the lungs and being exhaled. But as you get used to that as you settle into that rhythm as you allow your attention just to almost ride with that rhythm you begin to realize it's far more than just a bellows action a sort of pumping in and pumping out of air but actually it uh, is a sort of tidal movement that engages the whole of, of who you are in that moment certainly the body Now, of course, for most of the time, we breathe, but we're not aware that we're breathing. You know, we're busy doing other things. And when you deliberately and consciously come to the breath, uh, you find yourself getting, I think, very much to the source of your uh, relationship with the world. And by this I simply mean the drawing in of nourishment, oxygen, from the environment. And remember, the oxygen is generated through the photosynthesis of plants and so on. But once once we we think through what's going on with breathing, um, we're actually um, connecting to our... Uh, embeddedness in what we now call the biosphere in other words the the fragile environment that encloses the earth uh, the atmosphere uh, on which our lives and the lives of all things no matter what kind of uh, life form that might be are utterly dependent And we know that um, if, for example, you're in a boating accident uh, and you are underwater, if you can't gain the surface within a few minutes and you are unable to draw breath, then that uh, will lead to your death. And perhaps we think, as we're saying this, of this terrible accident in South Korea with the ferry. All of these kids unable to breathe and they die. So when we connect with our breathing, we're very much connecting with our embodied existence in this biosphere, and are grounding our attention um, in in the pulse of life itself. And when we do this practice... um, we have to try to get out of the idea that it's something we picture to ourselves initially if you've not done this meditation as as, as if you may not have done any others it can be a little bit contrived and artificial it's a little bit too self-conscious but once you get used to it once you settle into it it becomes quite a natural thing so what we're going to be doing today And you may in fact want to continue this uh, form of awareness throughout the retreat as a kind of of constant point to which you can refer, uh, to come back to, as we mentioned last night. We're coming back to the breath and in doing so we're coming back into our bodies and we're coming back into our primary relationship with life itself. That which gives us life. But the Buddha then goes on to describe this uh, process as an Arya Vihara, which I translated just now as a noble dwelling. You may have heard the word Vihara um, in other contexts, um, meaning simply a Buddhist monastery. It's a Vihara, it's the words that's used. but but it actually just simply means a dwelling and the verbal form viharati means to dwell to abide to live and the Buddha uses this word viharati um, in a lot of contexts when he talks of emptiness for example um, he doesn't talk of of the practice as one that leads us to an understanding of emptiness or an insight into emptiness which is certainly how it's presented in uh, in the later tradition but he talks about Shunyata Viharati uh, to dwell in emptiness he calls Shunyata emptiness he calls it the Mahapurusha Vihara The dwelling of the great person. Likewise, when he comes to the breath, it's not something you understand, it's not something you sort of step back upon and observe in a kind of detached, clinical way. But it's something you learn to dwell in. Now this word, to dwell, um, is such a a fundamental idea in our being human, where we dwell, a dwelling. It sounds in English a little bit, it's not a word we use that much. But nonetheless, it conveys, I feel, a certain way of being in the world. And it suggests that this mindfulness of the breath um, is a way of being in the world. It's a way of being a way of being grounded, a way of being connected, a way of being um, intimate with the rhythms of one's body and the, and the environment. And that then is called an Arya Vihara, um, a noble dwelling. Now the word Arya, of course, has a rather unfortunate history in the 20th century, having been co-opted by the Nazis but um, it's simply the, the classical Sanskrit um, Pali term meaning nobility it literally means um, raised up something like that and I think the way the Buddha used the term was um, in a moral sense um, in the sense that um, uh, to be Arya, to be noble was somehow to Uh, live a dignified life it suggests a kind of natural dignity and I remember many many years ago when I was first getting interested in Buddhism one of the sort of iconic uh, images that uh, really uh, drew my attention was the images either in photographs or in real life Um, of monks or nuns, Um, and for some reason I always associated this with Japan, a Zen monk or a Zen nun, uh, sitting in a very still, very, very well balanced and upright posture. And that image alone conveyed uh, to me a huge amount. It wasn't just a curious way to sit, but somehow it was a way of dwelling, a way of sitting, that um, uh, in a way magnified or exemplified uh, the possibility of a certain dignity. Uh, Not just in the uprightness, but in the whole poise and the balance. There was a a quality of human dignity. Dignity. So the Buddha describes this dwelling in the breath as a uh, a dignified dwelling. And this brings us to something that is emphasised quite a lot in Zen, particularly in Japanese Zen. uh, The importance of posture. Um, To try to find a way of sitting or walking, whether it be on a chair, whether it be on a cushion... Uh, in which you explore uh, the way in which you actually are holding your body. And you'll probably find, or you, if you've had experience in meditation, you already will have discovered, that over time you find the way to sit that somehow feels right. And by right, I mean where the breath seems to flow naturally where after 30 minutes you don't feel extraordinary pain in your lower back or your shoulders you feel at ease, you feel comfortable, you feel relaxed and yet at the same time it's a posture that affords um, optimum alertness and presence of mind presence of being So this dwelling in the breath this allowing yourself to settle in the breath um, again deeply involves the way in which you hold your body the way in which you, you are postured as it were. But it's not just dignity that is implied in the awareness of the breath there's also something sacred about it And the term in Pali the Buddha uses here is Brahma Vihara. Now Brahma uh, at the time of the Buddha was a sort of generic word for God. And again it might sound slightly odd in a Buddhist setting which is supposedly non-theistic that the word God would be used in a completely ordinary and somewhat positive way. Possibly the best word in English, at least for some of us, is the word sacred. We don't have to be a church-going a theist to use the word sacred. It's also worth noting that this word Brahmavihara is again familiar from another context for many of us, I suspect. Um, the Buddha speaks of four Brahma Viharas. Um, which are loving-kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity. In the Tibetan tradition they call the four immeasurables. But they're repeatedly uh, found in the early texts as the qualities of mind that somehow um, are embodied in a person who is awake it's not just some kind of enlightenment some special insight that might be gained but it is actually a way once again of being related to the world there's a, a quality of, um, of benevolence, of wishing others well a quality of, of compassion of wishing that others do not suffer a quality of joy in the um, successes and the well-being that others experience, and a quality of balance or or equanimity that's not pushed and pulled by one's reactive attractions and aversions. And to this, at least in this one text that I'm uh, reflecting upon now, the Buddha extends the idea of Brahma-vihara, of sacred dwelling, to concentration on the breath. So what does that mean? Well, I'm sure we can all probably have uh, our own understanding of that. But if we unpack, or at least if I unpack a little the word Brahma, Or sacred. Something. What is sacred. Is what we value most dearly. Um, Or what is sacred. Is that which somehow. Transcends us infinitely. Would be another way. Of looking at it. Uh, A sense of the sacred. Often arises. When you find yourself overwhelmed. By let's say the majesty. Of the universe itself or the sublimity of the natural world. Uh, It's it's the sort of word that comes to mind when we experience uh, something like wonder, or awe, or just a a sense that our mind simply cannot take in, or cannot adequately represent, um, the The complexity, the diversity, the richness, the grandeur of life itself. at least that's how I would take the word sacred. So once again, the breath, once we go beyond the idea of it being a kind of you know mechanical action of the lungs, opens this up to something that um, uh, almost infinitely outstrips our own capacity for, for for imagination. In other words, as I already suggested, it opens us up to our relationship with life as such. It puts us in touch with what is not me. So although the breath, of course, you know, is my breath, it's not your breath, the breath... In a deeper sense, is quite impersonal. Uh, when we're not paying attention to the breath, it just gets on with the business of breathing. It's got nothing. It's not interested in what Stephen thinks about it. It just—that's what the body does. That's what we are, in a way. And yet, at the same time, it's a purely naturalistic, biological um, process. And if we can allow ourselves to just sort of settle in that rhythm, it opens us up to a sense that some of us at least would term something sacred, something transcendent, something beyond our limited self-interest. And the third term the Buddha uses um, is is, uh, um, Tathagata Vihara, an abode or a dwelling of the Tathagata. Now, Tathagata is one of these words you come across a lot in Buddhism, but you will search probably in vain for any clear understanding of what it means. It's generally a synonym for for Buddha. Um, It's often translated as the one who is thus gone, or the one who is thus come. But probably that's not very helpful. I also think it's grammatically dubious to translate it that way. Um, there's a passage uh, in the Anguttara Nikaya where the Buddha uh, gives a definition of Tathagata as uh, a Tathagata is one who acts in accordance with what they think and say. A person who acts in the way that they think or say. In other words, a Tathagata um, is just so. There's no um, pretence, there's no deception, there's no dishonesty, there's no contrivance, there's no there's no wish to impress or deceive. You know what you uh, see is what you get. So, a Tathagata is perhaps similar to the word that you find in the Chinese Buddhist texts, particularly the Chan or the Zen texts, uh, to the classical term Chen Zhen. Chen Zhen is often used in, in, in Chinese Buddhist texts uh, to refer to, uh, when it's usually translated as the true person. The true person. And that's very similar to the idea of Tathagata, a person who is true and honest and transparent and non-tricky, as it were. Not um, uh, spinning you yarns, not pretending to be something that you're not. We might nowadays call that a person with authenticity or Integrity and Chen Zhen is actually a word taken from Taoism uh, it's not a, an indigenous Buddhist word but I think it captures much the same thing much the same idea so the, uh, the Tathagata Vihara this meditation on the breath which is a, a Tathagata's dwelling is perhaps pointing to the fact that as we meditate on our breath as we just recover you know, the basic simplicity and maybe sanity of being alive we're somehow being completely true to ourselves Uh, and I think all forms of meditation are about, in a sense uh, exposing and letting go of the deceptions we play both on ourselves and on others and that's again the sort of impression I used to receive still do actually from those photographs of you know, monks and nuns s- sitting in, in a rock garden or, or somewhere. Uh, there's something very uh, open and exposed and, um, and immediate and direct and honest about that act. So what started out as um, perhaps for many of us, uh, oh, another talk on breathing. When you unpack it, it takes us off in all these directions the direction of, of dignity, the direction of, um, of the sacred, and uh, in the direction of, of honesty and transparency and uh, being true to ourselves. So today um, uh, we would suggest that we we, we use the breath um, to to stabilize our attention to to bring us into this space of this room of Gaia House of the retreat um, and we'll probably find on the first day of a retreat that there's all kinds of wandering thoughts and unfinished business that are still tracking through our minds but just keep coming back to this, this noble dwelling this sacred dwelling this honest dwelling that is recovered through th- th- this very simple but also quite challenging task uh, to be totally with your breathing body and to try to just rest and settle into that. Is that clear, Ish? Okay. So we'll give it a go.